0: It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero with air conditioned lanes, ice cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun.
1: Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. One. Blog Talk Radio.
2: What's up, Rams fans? Welcome to another edition of Turf Show Radio, Bi-week style. 3K, how are you doing today, buddy?
0: I fold my socks on the bias. (laughs) Yeah, I've decided I'm (laughs) starting every Turf Show Radio episode with the most random thing I can think of from now on. So
2: that was That we all can enjoy.
0: That's right, diagonal socks
2: interesting interesting i was going to say <laughs> is there a reference for that i don't
0: i don't think so i hope not
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't know i don't know what cultural significance sock folding has but i don't, I don't know. know i, don't I like know. to
2: roll them up personally roll them up you know together and fold them you know get them in the drawer get a little more space that way
0: it would be an interesting you know free economics type study to see you know what kind of people fold their socks which ways, and then what that means?
2: Yeah, you probably really have a lot of time on your hands if you're folding your socks.
0: And that's a good point. You know, you got some time on your hands on Ter Show Radio when we're talking about sock folding. It's a good,
3: Yeah, you know, well, it, it's a it's subject. A bye week, so. It's a
0: subject that doesn't get enough scrutiny. And damn it, that, that's what we're here to do is bring light to the subjects that nobody wants to talk about. We're just fearless that way.
2: Amen. And you know, with the bye week, we, the Rams on a bye. You gotta drum up a little extra content, of course, it wasn't exactly a slow week for the Rams and Rams fans we, with I would the say um, not. Uh, a little incident that happened in Minnesota. The world has turned upside down, Minnesota and Dallas rotating on their heads right now um but Minnesota cutting the old Randy Moss after a little catering incident. Food critic, I know the food t v shows are really popular right now, so everybody's kind of a personal chef so you know randy moss has as much right to criticize the the spread as anybody else i guess but it got the boy it got the boy cut and uh damn near became a st louis ram or so we thought i guess i guess he really wasn't all that close to it but um a lot of a lot of different opinions on well really just two opinions on that but um people seem to either kind of fall down on one side or the other with that as i suspect a character like Randy
0: Moss makes people do. 3K? It was weird. I mean, I'll be honest. I was probably one of the few people maybe on earth that didn't really have a huge opinion one way or the other. Um, wow. I, you know, I thought there were advantages if we picked them up. I thought there were advantages if we didn't. I could understand both sides. I could understand both opinions. And that was one of the great things about, about tertial times, and I said this somewhere in the comments, was this was one of the first times that I was really, really impressed with, the direction that the conversation went throughout the site, you know, comments on front page stuff, Uh all the guys that helped uh, you know, chime in on front page stuff, Ramrod, VT Rance fan, everybody that was involved, the fan posts, the fan shots. It was just a really, really good ongoing conversation. I was really impressed. And that was the thing. I mean, the the so many opinions on both sides were so well explained and so well thought out that in the end I felt comfortable either way. I mean, obviously you're going to be able to open up an offense when you have a vertical threat like Moss. But at the same time, you know what he brings to the clubhouse and the kind of off-field personality that he is. Um, you know, you can make a case on both sides, and I thought both sides made a great case. And, you know, it may be one thing that we look back in hindsight and say, gosh, I wish we did this. But, you know, it, it, in the end, I really don't think it was a huge, huge season difference. I really don't.
2: No, and, you know, and here's the thing. I, I, as somebody who was, and I'll have to agree with you there, the debate – I really wasn't even so much a debate as it was a discussion around this. It was very impressive, I and mean, you know, with a guy like Randy Moss, it's not hard for that to kind of devolve into, you know, fake moonings and things like proverbial fake moonings and things like that. But it sure. was pretty. It, it was. It was all about the high road in Rams Nation. I, I think that's to be commended. Um, I was more in the. I hope we get Randy Moss camp, and and I'll say this, but I, you know, I. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I, for one, it's a bet thing. You know, you re, you need some receiving. You need some receiving help. And I think the Carolina game, as great as the receivers play, I mean, they really played up to their ability. They really they really came to play. They went above and beyond. I'll have to give them all the credit in the world, Brandon Gibson and Robinson and Amandola. Those guys played their hearts out in that game, and, then, and that's what, you know, they're going to have to do every single game the rest of the year. Now, more on that in a minute, but... Um, You know, it it was just a reminder of how limited the Rams' offense is because of our situation at wide receiver. We don't have a guy that can stretch the field like that. I mean, we're really – I mean, if you like short passes, the St. Louis Rams of 2010 are your team. (laughs) We just don't have many people that are going to get downfield for 20, 25, 30-yard routes very often. I mean, it's going to be – you know, like a little pepper. You got to use it here and there just right so you, you get the you bring out the flavor when you need it, but it's just not something that's going to be a regular part of the game plan. And and that's kind of where I was with Randy Moss because I felt like, you know, the Rams are in a good spot this year. The defense is playing at a really high level. The offense is performing well. Um, you know, certainly not going to be confused with one of the better offenses in the NFL, but you got a great quarterback you got receivers that are kind of more character actors as opposed to the leading leading men, but, you know, they're, they're playing a role. And you got Steven Jackson, of course, and you've got an offensive line that's playing well. But it's, uh you know, I, I thought bringing in a guy like Randy Moss, you would have really probably given the Rams a – made them a very favored contender for the division title. Now, that said, I don't know how much further in the playoffs you would have gone. I mean, I still don't see the Rams – even with a Randy Moss or Vincent Jackson even matching up well against some of the other, you know, high-flying teams right now. But at the same time, you know, it would have been a one-year rental deal, and and I don't know if that would have been the right thing to do for the sake of, you know, where we are in this kind of establishing this franchise and and moving forward and building kind of a new team for a new, you know, a new future. Yeah, we're hungry to compete. We want those wins. It's been a long time in the wilderness for Rams fans. But I mean, you know, I mean, how many, you know, how many more games are you going to win with Randy Moss on the roster this year than without? And you would, you'd probably win a couple more games. But in terms of 2011, 2012, what does I mean? How does that impact you other than maybe changing your situation in the draft a little bit? Um, it gets you to the playoffs, it maybe gets, you know, it, it's good for the fan base, which I, I think is really the important thing here, and I think that's that. But, you know, I, I, having said that, you do the risk of having a guy like Moss in the locker room. I mean, the risk of, you know, you bring a player in for eight games and then he's gone after the season, because I'm sure he would have been gone after the season. I really didn't wouldn't have seen the Rams signing him long term. But, I, you know, if it happened, that's the way it happened, I think it would have been great. But I think we'll survive without it.
0: Yeah, there's, just some, there's so many facets to bringing him on that I just don't think get enough attention. A lot of it is the nerdy kind of football stuff that, you know, only places like TST are going to discuss. You know, how much does the playbook change when you bring on Ray DeMoss? You know if you're bringing him in on a vertical threat with the way the Rams offense has been designed, you've got to change some of the plays so that those routes become inculcated in the kinds of things you're trying to do. You can't run the exact same play and then just change one route. It makes a lot of the other routes less effective. The whole reason a guy like Danny Amendola is able to cut over the middle and be open is because you have two or three other guys that are trying to occupy that same level of space, whether they're four, yeah. five, six, eight yards you know, laterally. On that same plane, but nevertheless, they're all running shorter and intermediate routes. When you throw that guy on the fly route, you know, it completely changes the nature of the play. How much does Shermer have to, and people, you know, if you want to criticize Shermer, do you want to make his job that much more difficult? Do you want to put that much more pressure on a guy like Sam Bradford? Do you want to add that much more pressure for a guy like Steven Jackson now? If you say you're going to open up the offense and you're bringing guys out of the box, then there's no reason Steven Jackson can't even perform better than he has to this point. So there's a lot of things that go into that. And and then when you talk about, you know, signing him long-term, I remember a lot of people were saying the idea of, you know, Randy Moss, A.J. Green, Danny Amendola, Brandon Gibson, whoever, you know, we come back with in 2011, what is the need to bring back Randy Moss if you're going to sign a guy like A.J. Green? You know, if we get a premier number one wide receiver, we've seen what Bradford can do with the current wide receiving core. If you want to yeah. add a young guy like A.J. Green who's going to grow up with Sam Bradford, what do you need Randy Moss for at that point? I just don't see the need in the value in spending that much on two guys that are going to take a lot of money to keep around, a rookie that's going to go as high as A.J. Green and a veteran that's going to command the kind of salary that Randy Moss does. I just don't see why the Rams would want to invest in a duo like that. Now, a guy like AJ Green, sure, bring him on. But to add him and Randy Moss seems like a waste of you know capital.
2: Yeah, and and speaking of capital, I mean you know Moss wasn't you know you throw around the term rental, but you know it wasn't a cheap rental. It wasn't a it wasn't a basement sublet for the summer. I mean this is a three and, three and a third million dollars for eight games. That's a lot of money. For a Rams team that probably doesn't make a lot of money right
0: now, and that's assuming that I was just going to say that's assuming that as old as he is, that he stays healthy through the last eight games. Yeah.
2: Well, and you know, automatic. I mean, when you're a Rams receiver, you're at automatically at a little, a little (laughs) higher risk of injury than you would
3: otherwise be.
2: As
0: as soon as you put on the jersey, your injury rating, you know, on Madden goes up fifteen points. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's just something about being a Rams receiver. It used to be the Rams offensive line. If you were a Rams offensive lineman, you were going to get injured. Now it's receivers. So maybe that's progress, I guess. I mean, depending on how you look at it. I'm an optimist today. I'm going to say it's progress. But you know, that's the way it is. And I you know, I, like I say, I think it, you know, the Randy Moss thing could have turned out either way. It, it turned out the way it did and it'll probably be all right in the end. Um you know, uh D.V. Cooper brought up a good point, though. Um, compensatory pick. Had the Rams signed Moss, and then he sailed away in free agency next year, the Rams would have had a compensatory pick out of that. And now that's all assuming the labor situation is resolved, of course,
0: which sure.
2: it could very well not be.
3: So.
0: Yeah, I mean, with all the predictions and the stuff we talk about next season, so much of it is already sitting on a paper plate that we don't even know if the table's going to be there. The CBA... Who knows how overwhelming it's going to be? Who knows what kind of changes it's going to bring, whether it's to the draft, free agency, to the game itself, to management, to week-to-week changes, 18-game season, preseason, whatever it is. You know, it, it, There's so much in the air that's yet to be resolved. It's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. Yeah,
2: absolutely, absolutely. 3K, um, it looks like all the comments we have online right now, you've got a – You've got an outline there in front of you. What, what, what do you want to – what should we – what subject should we hit next? I, I feel like we've probably done as much Randy Moss as we really
0: can. Yeah. You know, I guess we can skip – and go back to the Panthers real quick so we can get that out of the way, and then we'll go to the, the fan topic of the week for Tertial Radio. I forgot how to pronounce mm-hmm. it. I got it written down. It's something like Witzer or whatever, um, which is going to be looking at the second half and our schedule coming up after the bye week this you know, the latter 50% of the season. And it's going to be really important for the franchise, uh, you know, moving ahead and getting ready for a future that, that has to include greater successes than we've had in the last four or five years. But I, I think part of that was you've got to get the games done the way we did against the Panthers. It was, you know, sloppy in parts. It was a little bit, uh, what's a good way to put it? just wasn't crisp. There were things that you wanted to see get done better. But in the end, you got the W, um, you know, and, and the bottom line results sometimes are more important than the way you get there. And, and maybe most importantly is that I think we're seeing this defense really develop an identity, and it's a hell of an identity.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and that was what was I, you know, and, and it occurred to me you know, watching the Panthers game, and then you know the what we just talked about in terms of the dimensions of the offense with Randy Moss is I you know I think that it wasn't like you say three K. It wasn't a perfect game. It wasn't. You know, necessarily um, a game without, pardon me, a few, you know, a mistake here and there, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, the strategy I think that you see from the Rams right now is what we have with our offense, let's move the, let's control the ball, let's keep our defense reasonably fresh and let them do the heavy lifting and, you know, kind of win the game with, You know, two touchdowns. I mean, only one time this season have the Rams scored more than two touchdowns in a game. And you know, it seems like you considering where the Rams' offense was last year, that's you know a trip around the world. But considering where the the Rams' offense ranks with the rest of the NFL right now, it's you know solidly in the bottom fifth of the in the fifth of the league there. Oh sure. But. It's it is what it is, and you know you're just gonna have to take. No, nah, I'll say Carolina's defense isn't a pushover defense. It's not a, you know that wasn't that wasn't a group to be taken lightly. They don't have the sack totals that some of the other, you know like Seattle did when the, when they came to the dome a few weeks ago. But you know it wasn't a, it wasn't a defense to be taken lightly. So, um, you know I, I like what we saw from the Panthers game. I really thought that was probably Bradford's best game of the season. He didn't have his Most gaudy stats out of that, but, you know, a solid effort. His accuracy was amazing. The receivers didn't drop balls. Um, I think, you know, Robinson, Gibson, Robinson, and Amendola, I couldn't tell you how many times they were targeted, but they, you know, only each one of those guys had one target that they didn't catch, which is a pretty, you know, you can't complain about an effort like that. You can't complain about that at all. As ugly and as snub-nosed as the, the passing game may be sometimes, that's, you know, you got to give the receivers some credit with that. You saw the tight ends kind of step up a little bit. Fells, uh, uh-oh, Manawani had a good one. I was probably – I butchered the guy's name, but, you know, what uh, What would you the expect? Illinois Mike, man, Illinois Mike. Illinois Mike, that's right. Um, 3K, you look back on the game, what, you know – what what stood out to you as kind of maybe the where uh, you know an area where they need to do a little better next time?
0: You know, if I look at it, I'd say there's two areas that I'm really enjoying the progress of this team. Number one is Sam Bradford settling into what I would call his 2010 role, and that is it's not dink and dunk. It's about managing the game, and he's managing yeah. the game as well as you could possibly expect a rookie to do out of these last three games. You know, even the one against Tampa Bay that we lost. But in these last three games, you're seeing a guy who's taking the things that a defense is giving him. He's not making stupid plays. He's using, you know, limited talent in his receiving core to great effect, and he's making the right adjustments when they come. Whether it's checking down into wide receiver screens before the, you know, before the snap, whether it's adjusting the way that he moves throughout the pocket cuz he's you know he's proven that he's got enough mobility I'll put it like this he's not bulger you know when it comes to a lack yeah. of ability to get outside the pocket and make plays happen um and he's really settling into that role I hope the bye week doesn't throw that off because he's can you know you're almost seeing a week to week improvement and it's not very pretty the offense isn't very glamorous there's not a lot of stuff that you can expect him to do down the field but that's because the opportunities just aren't there. And that's the thing. He's, he's becoming a very, very effective game manager. So that's a great thing to look at. The defense, you know, I talked about previous weeks, and I think you might have thrown the stat up there at how good we're doing in, in protecting down the field. But one thing I've been really impressed at these last three weeks outside of, you know, one or two drives against Tampa Bay is that we're doing a good job of masking our outside linebackers. We know our outside linebackers just aren't that great but we're doing yeah. a good job of masking them both by bringing up cornerbacks to cover underneath a little bit and at the same time having James Laurinaitis and our defensive ends do things that they weren't doing in seasons past. So I think it's a great play, a great scheming by Flayhole and uh, Spagnuolo to make sure that we're not opening up uh, advantages for our opponents just because we have holes on our defense. If there's, if there's one thing that I think we need to improve on is run blocking. The run blocking just isn't doing much, and especially when you have a talent like Steven Jackson – you gotta get more out of it. You've got to give him a chance to make the most out of it. Somebody was talking about Kenneth Darby earlier yeah. in the week, I think it was a uh, that fan post on first half heroes. You know, I've always been a Darby backer, but I'm really not that, you know, surprised or impressed with what he's doing. It's just that when he's got four yard holes, he's gonna give you four yards. He's not gonna break tackles. And if that's the case, and if you're limiting Steven Jackson to a similar degree, you're not going to get that much out of the running game. The best running teams in the in the NFL are the ones who create more for the running backs versus the bad teams who expect the running backs to create something for themselves. And we seem to be pushing yeah. closer to that second category more than, than we have been in previous years. And, and to a degree it worries me, but... You know, when you got a talent like Sam Bradford, you don't need a guy like Steven Jackson to do everything he can every single game. That's why you can play him last week, you know, with a with a four finger hand and, and he's out there catching yeah. balls with one hand out in the flats. You, you have other options that we haven't had in previous years that take away from Steven Jackson so that the game is not squarely on his shoulders. But that's not gonna be the case and it's especially not gonna be the case if we're looking to make a push towards the playoffs. You've got to get your running game more involved and, and give him a chance to succeed. Where, where it's not completely, where it's not solely on him to give you a big game.
2: Well, and you know, I was just going to say to that three K two, the the run block. I mean, that's an, that's going to be an important part of, of. I know we have a great pass blocking line, but the game, the offensive, the clock management, time management strategy, the offense is using. The run blocking is more important because you know you saw it last week. You saw it against Tampa Bay. You saw it against San Diego and Tampa Bay in particular. It was very pronounced in the second half. The Rams got on that lead, and then they kind of get conservative with the ball. I'm not, you know, there are some people probably that strategy I know really drives them crazy. But, you know, I don't think it's the worst strategy in the world. It's not exciting. It's not necessarily exciting. But if it can give you six minutes of, six or seven minutes of ball control and leave your defense on, you know, limit the exposure, your defense is out there. Well, no, 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 you know, that's why that run blocking is going to be important because you've got to be able to get the first downs. You've got to be able to, to pick those up and move the ball. Even if you're not going to score a touchdown, you've got to be able to move up and down the field, get a field goal here and there to kind of make it a, a you know, to put it out of a seven-point, to put it into a 14-point, a, a two-touchdown range for the opponents as opposed to, you know, keeping it playing with those short hair margins like that. Um, I, you know, that's where the run blocking is going to be important. And – you know, there's something else I noticed about the run-blocking 3K, and I'm going to run this by you. I think Mike Carney is not doing a very good job this year, and I don't know if it's injury. I mean, I know the nature of that position. It's a tough physical position, and bodies that are asked to do that week in and week out don't have the kind of lifespan that other guys do. Um, the speed and the, the the intensity of the game that the, those guys see, those fullbacks, those blocking fullbacks see – um, you know, Mike Carney, to me, is not having a great season in terms of blocking and clearing those linebackers out of lanes and, and keeping those defenders coming through, you know, the, when the offensive linemen are tied up and you're shooting a D-back or a linebacker through a hole and he's not getting that out of the way. And I think you see that in some of the gain or lack thereof gains that the Rams running running backs are getting down the field, you know, in that space beyond four yards,
0: five yards past the line of scrimmage.
2: Thoughts on that?
0: Well, personally, I think part of the problem is that we just don't involve him in the passing game very much, and we haven't since he's been here in St. Louis. Um, I know he had six catches last year. I think he's had four this year. And, you know, average, I, I know they're both under three yards per reception. We're just not getting him very involved into that passing game. And all that does is when he gets on the field, you're pretty much signaling you know, to the entire defense, look, this is a run play. And, and they can play yeah. off of that. It's not, and it's not that you have to expect that the defense can overcome Mike Carney one-on-one, but you know that if you're a defense, Carney's only going to be out there to block. And you can mask what you're doing. You can add some you know, complexity to that. You can try to confuse him. There's all kinds of things you can do to make Carney less effective as a blocker when you know that's what he's out there to do. So I, I'd like yeah. to see us use him in, in more diverse ways than just throwing him out there to block on running plays. Um, and, and one thing you talked about with the running game, it, you know, part of the issue is that we're just not opening up big games. I was just looking at the stats real quick. We're averaging about 3.6 yards per attempt. That puts us about seventh uh, in the league. And here's some of the bottom eight teams: it's Denver, Carolina, Seattle, Baltimore, Detroit, New Orleans, the Cowboys, and us, the Rams. And if you're going to look at the only two teams out of those eight that are really any decent, it's Baltimore and New Orleans. Now, New Orleans has struggled a bit this year. I mean, everybody recognizes that. And Baltimore is a great team, but they're built on their defense. And even those two teams, when you look at points per game, how much their offense is scoring, they're ranked 15th and 17th for the Ravens and Saints, respectively. So all these teams that are, you know, running the ball poorly – aren't scoring points. If you're going to try to use the run as an effective piece of your offense, you've got to get more than as few yards that we've all been getting. And and it's just not going to work. It's not going to work, especially when we get into the second schedule, and maybe this is where we segue to it. You know, we've got too many road games. And and what we saw against Tampa Bay, if you can't run the ball, all you're going to do is, even if you've got the lead, whether you're down or not, if you've got a lead and you can't run the ball and kill the clock and get your first downs that's going to keep your drives going, you're just going to open up the window. And if you open up the window for a lot of these teams, I mean, hell, if Josh Freeman can do it with Tampa Bay, you can not feel very comfortable that a lot of other teams are going to be able to not do what we did, what they did, excuse me. Right.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, we've got games coming up against Atlanta and New Orleans and Kansas City. I mean, those are, um, you know, not to mention the division games that are always tough just because they're, you know, this is a fairly – evenly matched division this season. That's uh you know, especially when you start going out on the road, like the Rams are gonna be doing a lot in the second half. Um seems like as good a time as any to switch over to the old uh second half schedule. What do you think there, three K?
0: You know, it's tough. You got five road games and three at home. Um we got three divisional road games, you know, we had Seattle and Arizona already at home so the those two remaining are both going to be on the road and then you've got a a one and one against San Francisco, where we each get each other on home field, you got Kansas City that's going to be at home, you got New Orleans on the road, Denver on the road, and Atlanta at home. so it's not like there's a lot of easy opportunities out of those three home games, you know strangely enough, you might have to say San Francisco seems like the easiest one um you know it, yeah. if we go one and two at home and seeing that we haven't won a road game yet knowing that there's five road games remaining it might not be the prettiest finish to the season um you know you're you're going to have to have you're going to have to have the team step up in other areas that they haven't thus far you're going to have to make some more out of the takeaways we've done a good job at getting the ball uh out of offense's hands you know whether it's killing drives and and helping them go three and out or just stemming them once they get after the 50 um, but but we got to see more out of that game. we got to see more electricity, whether it's an interception return for a touchdown, that pick six, whether it's a big fumble return on a sack, whatever it is, we're going to have to get more of that, especially on the road because you know those kind of plays take crowds out. Um, and, then, and then on the offensive side, I think it's what we talked about. We know this team can can get up ahead of teams in the first half, and we know that we have a tendency for whatever reason to to let it go in the second half, but you've got to get a running game going, whether it's earlier, whether you get the running game going earlier in the first half so you can keep it going in the second, or ensuring that you get it going in the second, it's got to be one or the other. You can't play these second halves without a running game and expect to win that many games. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And and, you know, I think this first game out of the gate at San Francisco, that's a tough game. I mean, San Francisco is a two-win team now, and that's not you know by the standards of the rest of the league, that's not that's not anything special, but you know they're at home. They're going to be coming off a of bye themselves. They've got, um, you know, I don't know what Alex Smith's status is. Are you? Will he be back
3: at that point? What, what, what's his I haven't looked. I haven't really looked, but I, I don't know.
2: Because uh, I, you know, I, as you know, Alex Smith is the butt of many jokes, but he's an effective quarterback. If he's not, you know, even if he's not the kind of guy that you want as the long term. You know at this point in time Face of your franchise but you know He's an effective quarterback he's got Stats on par with Sam Bradford Now Sam Bradford's a rookie and Alex Smith Is a
3: fifth year veteran
2: so Take that for what it's worth But you know where we are at this point in time That's not an easy matchup now you know Troy Smith had a good game in London last week Against Denver but you know Denver's not a good team either Um, And you know that's another team the Rams Are going to face but they're going to be in Colorado For that one I don't you know it's a it's a tough game, and I think if the Rams are really gonna if they're gonna if they're gonna come out and have a strong second half, I think that first game at San Francisco is one they have to win. They absolutely have to win.
0: They're one and one in the division this year. But yeah, what? I was just gonna say there's some interesting storylines going into that game. I mean, first off, you have both the Rams and the 49ers have a bye this weekend, so that's two weeks where where both of us are gonna be preparing for the other. Um, and it's a statement game either way. If, if San Francisco can come out and win that game, you know, you know, they've won three out of their four. If they win against us, they've already won two out of the last three. So that'd be three out of the last four. They're going to have a lot of momentum going into their second half schedule. And for them, it looks a little bit easier maybe than ours does. Um, you know, if they're going to pull themselves back in the contention in the NFC West, you've got to assume that this is a must-win game for the 49ers. But on the flip side, if if St. Louis comes out and wins, I mean, you look around the league. Seattle's got New York this weekend. You've got to assume that New York's going to put it on them because the Giants are looking really, really good. Arizona's got... Yeah, and they don't
2: have Matt Hasselbeck either.
0: No, and that's going to be really difficult and for them because Oku. his experience is huge. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely.
2: I think that... I think Hasselbeck alone, you know, has probably given Seattle, you know, the wins that they have this season. And sure. they've lost some guys. You know, they've lost two defensive linemen—one for the season, one for an indeterminate amount of time. Those are pretty significant injuries because, as you will remember, Seattle's defensive line is front seven in general is a pretty tough group.
0: It's strong. It's strong. And, but, I mean, like you said, they've got some injuries they're dealing with, and they just don't have the consistency they've had in years past, and that's really hurting them. And that's the thing is you've got Seattle who plays New York. Arizona's got Minnesota this week and You've got to assume Minnesota's really going to try to come out and put a, you know, the Moss, far Childress, all that garbage behind them because if they don't win this, it's going to get ratcheted up to another level. They've got to come out and win this game and get the media on somebody else's back But then that next week, uh, the 14th, when we play San Francisco, Seattle plays Arizona. So that's a – I mean, you look at this next two weeks, this could be where, you know, the NFC West champion or at least the two front runners, establish themselves in that race.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, these are the Elysian fields of the NFC West over the next couple weeks here.
0: I mean, it's, you know,
2: division games, and that's a big deal. That's a big, big, big deal. I mean,
0: you know, it's just, too, just think about the, it this way. I was going to throw up. if Seattle and Arizona both lose, Arizona is going to drop to three and five, and both the Seahawks and the Rams will be tied at four and four. That makes things really, really, really interesting going into this next a week and a half from now, or a week and a day from now, excuse me.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it's you know that's when like you said too with San Francisco, San Francisco gets the win over the Rams next week. <clears throat> They're you know one win, they have one less win than the the two teams in front of them in the division and that's that's huge all of a sudden you know per what did they start o- Zero and four oh and five i can't remember i think but whatever i think it was, was 0 and five yeah yeah that's a big i mean I'll, i mean that's only in the nfc west can you turn it around like this year
0: um i yeah,
2: it's gonna be I interesting
1: yeah no, go ahead go know, ahead
2: if, if, i was I, I was living in colorado and um it was when Alfred Williams was playing for the Broncos, and he was on some sure. sports talk radio show in Denver, and uh, somebody called in and compared the AFC West to the WAC the whack conference of the NFL, and I remember, Al, I remember um, Alfred Williams getting pretty indignant about that statement, but that's kind of where the NFC West is this year. It's not the best conference, not the best division in the league, um, I think as the records will show, but... If you like neck-and-neck horse races, it's the one to watch, that's for sure.
0: And, I mean, that's the thing that makes it really interesting as a division is that the Rams maybe have the most consistency and the best chemistry out of anybody. You've got a 49er team that... You know, as badly as they played up front, what everybody was talking about was Singletary, and that just ignores all the talent they've got on the team. They got a very talented team, that's why people were a lot of people were projecting them to win the division. The issue that they've had was not just coaching; it's quarterback play, and they haven't had consistency at that position for years. For years now, right, and it's starting to bite them, and that's the theme throughout the division. You know, you got Seattle now; they're having to find out what they can do without Hasselbeck. You knew that was going to come at some point, but you know, this is the week where they decide who they are with Charlie Whitehurst. You know, underneath the ball, Uh, over at Arizona, who knows? You know, it's that rotating door between Max Hall, Derek Anderson, maybe even that third quarterback that's going to come out, Kafka. You know, there's just no consistency there. And you can't win a lot of games in the NFL unless you have consistency at quarterback. I think that's one of the main reasons people are starting to put the Rams as possible division winners. We're the only team that has the consistency at quarterback despite having arguably the most inconsistency at wide receiver. You know, it... Donnie Avery gone. Mark Clayton gone. Randy Moss not going to happen. The wide receiver is, you know, the depth chart is changing week to week, but the one thing that's remained consistent is the guy that's throwing the ball to them. And you you have to believe that gives us an advantage over a lot of the other teams.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, as, you know, injuries too. I mean, you know, and look, we just, you know, we mentioned Seattle, the injury situation there. That's a. You know those are key players for them that they've lost. There are Colin Cole and Red Bryant on the defensive lineout. Hasselback. you know, Hasselback was sacked eight times last week against by Oakland. You know, a team we saw. I mean, that's a you know for a 35 year old quarterback, that's a tough thing. That's a tough position to be. In. I mean, look at you know look what happened to Mark Bulger. Um, you know, after the years of Mike Martz offense abuse, it's uh, it takes a toll, and that's you know you. you I like where the Rams are at injury wise heading into the stretch run of of things versus the versus the other teams. Um you know I don't think with San, San Francisco's defense, nothing to be taken lightly. Manny Lawson looked like a man possessed last week.
3: They can um, play
2: you know, I They can play. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they've still got Justin you know, they got Justin Smith, you got Manny Lawson, that's a tough you obviously have Patrick got Willis. Patrick, Patrick Willis. Beat. I mean you know it's it's it sucks for Lauren cuz he should be the best middle line he'd be the best middle linebacker in almost any division in the NFL but you know he's just not quite a, as great as he is he he'll get there but you know Patrick Willis is still the man and that's a tough group to face especially for you know an offense like the Rams that's fairly limited that's why I say and I don't want to lay too much hyperbole into the whole situation but it's a tough game next week it's nothing to be taken lightly despite what the record may say.
0: And that's the approach that we're going to have to take down this stretch, down this last half of games. If you want to be taken seriously as a division contender, you you have to assume that people are going to have you as the target, that they're going to come out and say, look, these guys are trying to win the division. We've got to hold them off. With five divisional games – you know, San Francisco, Seattle, Arizona, they're all going to be looking at us saying this is a game we need to win and a game we should win. They're led by a rookie quarterback. They haven't been that good historically. We've got to go and beat the Rams, especially when we're at home. You've you got to assume that that's going to be the target. You can't take a single week off if you're the Rams. Absolutely not. Absolutely not.
2: Um, 3K, you know, predicting the second half of the Rams season, I've seen um, – you know, a few of the uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch guys, the Mike Sando at ES, over at the ESPN NFC West blog, you know, they still look at the Rams team and they still see them finishing the season with five to six wins. And now, you know, after watching where they've gone through the first half of the season, that seems a little preposterous. But you know, you're looking at the second half schedule. It's you know, it's it's not it's not a far out prediction. So I thought maybe um. You know, looking through the second half schedule here, some tough games ahead, some key division matchups. Well, how many games can the Rams win the second half, assuming, assuming things, you know, stay the course injury wise and things like
0: that? You know, it's so tough. The, the biggest issue is road games. We haven't won one yet, and we've got five on the road. Uh, how about this? You're down to go game by game, and we'll each throw out our own individual predictions, and we'll just see how they sync I think up. That's a-
2: I think that's a great idea.
0: Well, then let's do it, man. First game,
2: San obviously, Fran. is going to
0: be the one against San Fran in the in the Bay in Cali. It's a big
2: one. It's a big one. But I, you know, to me, I, I think the I, the Rams will win this game because they have to. Now we say it constantly that oh, it's a must win game. It's a must win game, but. This is the one they have to win, A, if they want to be a legitimate contender for the division, and, B, to come out and establish themselves in the second half of the season that, yes, we're young, we're inexperienced, but we can win on the road. This play you're seeing from us is for re- for real. They've got to win this game. So I'm going to chalk that up you know, as a win. You?
0: I, I'm going to play the foil, man. I know this might heat up some people, but I'm, I'm going to go with a loss. Here's what I'm looking at. Here, here's how many points the Rams have scored at home I'm going game by game. 17, 30, 20, 20, and 20. On the road, we've scored 16, 6, and 17. The offense on the road just isn't getting it done. I don't know if it's a crowd factor. I don't know if it's adjustments, and the coaching staff is trying to make certain things happen with the play calling and with the the actual tactics that play themselves on the ground, but it's not getting done. And I think San Francisco is just a team that you can't afford to have that happen, whether you're playing in San Francisco or in another country on the other side of the earth and so for me, this is a game I don't think the Rams are going to be able to get it done, but they have a chance to come back in Atlanta the next week and, and really get back on the right road. What do you think?
2: Uh, you know, to me, that's I look at that Atlanta game, and I think that's by far the toughest game of the second half. Um, you know, Atlanta looks like we'll have Donta Robinson back. I mean, I think they're going to have him back this week, but, you know, he should be back up to full speed by then. Uh, I don't see the Rams winning that one. I, I think that Atlanta is just way more talented than the Rams
0: are. I'm a, I'm agree with you, man. I think is one of the more underrated teams in the NFL, um, and I, specifically the I, NFC. I really think they have something that they could build on going into these next couple weeks and if they get it going, I, I honestly, they're
2: going to be a force. I think I predi- I look at Atlanta and I think they'll go deep, if not deep into the playoffs, if not represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. They have just as much chance as as any of those top flight teams in the NFC right now.
0: They're really strong and here's a stat for you in point differential, the best team in terms of point differentials right now, Green Bay. They've given up 40 less points than they've scored. Second is Atlanta. They've scored 36 more points than they've given up. And two losses they're a really really strong team they're 2 and 2 on the road and 3 and 0 oh at home i really think atlanta has a chance to to turn it on like you said so i'm predicting loss at that one the next game's a close one this is going to be interesting at denver november 28th and i see we got a caller so van let's go ahead and wrap up these predictions and then caller we'll get to you calling from the 360 what do you, what do you think van at denver in colorado november 28th uh, you know
2: that's a team the rams can beat You know the Denver passing offense was pretty stout there for a while, but it's really slowed down, and it's a good matchup for the Rams in terms of offense and defense. Um, To me, that's the one road game I think that they really have to win. They they really the easiest road game they have in the second half. I think they'll win. I think they'll get that one.
0: I'm with you. I, I, the, the okay. I'm with you. I, I got a victory in that one, and the reason why is I have no idea who Denver is. They're one of the most, not even bipolar, you could say tripolar teams in the NFL. You have no idea what you're going to get out of them. You may get Kyle Orton going for 450 yards one week. The next week, they, you know, he may turn over the ball four times. The defense is the same. You had a defense that, you know, gives up 24 to the Jets, that gives up twenty four to San Francisco, gives up fifty nine to Oakland. I don't know what the Broncos are doing, and I don't know what they're trying to do from week to week. So I think St. Louis has a good a good chance of of taking advantage of that in, inconsistency in Denver. That next week though, we get back to divisional games uh, at Arizona. What's your calling? on
2: Arizona? That one? Uh, you know, that's a tough one. Um, I you know I like. You know, we've we've seen Arizona. We lost a close one to Arizona to start the season at home. Um, I, you know, I don't know. The Rams can win that. They're capable of it. It, it just it's going to depend on how things are going. Three K. That's that might be the toughest one on the list to predict. In all honesty,
0: looking looking gotta down the You got to give me a call, man. You got to put it down on paper, brother. Uh, all
2: right. I'm going to say it's. I'm going to say it's a win.
0: Homer, it's, a, it's a good it's call. In
2: full it's
0: just not great. I got to say that's a loss. Here's why: Arizona's biggest issue is not that they don't have the offensive weapons; it's that they don't have somebody loading the gun. It, you know, whether it's Max Hall, Derek Anderson, whomever. I think over the next five weeks, I think Arizona's going to get it figured out. Um, they may not get it figured out anywhere close to what they need to really compete either in the division or throughout the playoffs. But they've already had their buy. so they're going to get some things going: Minnesota, Seattle, Kansas City, San Francisco. Two of those games are on the road: Seattle and San Francisco at home. I don't see why Arizona can't win both of those, and if they do, they've got a leg up in the division. And I think they keep that going against us. It sucks to say, but I think that's going to be another loss. Uh, that next yeah. week, it just gets that much tougher, man. At New Orleans, December
2: twelfth. That is a tough matchup because I'll tell you one thing: that I, you know, I, I, I'm really happy with the play of our secondary this year. I think they're, I think they've been great. The pass rush has been great. They've paired well together. I, I just, I, you know, if New Orleans plays like they can play, then they've lost some ugly ones this year, and they've damn near lost a couple more that they should, like Carolina, for instance. Um, yep. You know, that's a tough one, and and I think you going by talent, you've probably got to give it to New
0: Orleans. Yeah, I'm going to go with New Orleans on that one too. They they still got some relatively easy games left on their schedule: Carolina, Dallas, Cincinnati. All three of those are on the road, but all three of those are before they play us. I see no reason why New Orleans isn't going to get it going. You know, Super Bowl defending champions. They know what they've got to do to get back there this year. I think they start putting the pieces together before their final stretch run, uh, and one of those is going to include us, unfortunately. So I'm going loss as well. You got a loss on that one? Is that what you said?
2: Yeah, I do. I do.
0: I want to make sure I, I get these accurate. I don't want to misquote you, man. But the next week, this is going to be an interesting game. St. Louis comes home, and they got Kansas City. What do you think?
2: Oh, the Governor's Cup, always oh, an exciting time to be a Missourian. Um, you know, Kansas City started off the season real strong. Um, I think they're coming back to earth a little bit. I think a home game for the Rams. Um, I, I, the Rams can win it. Will they win it? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes, they will. I know that's I've really crept into Homer territory here, but I think they can no, win I'm- that one.
0: I think that's the right call. I'm going with you on that one. The thing about Kansas City is they've won their games because of defense. You know, San Diego, Cleveland, San Francisco to start up the yeah. season. They gave up fourteen, fourteen and ten. These last two games, Jacksonville, they won forty two to twenty, but twenty points is a is a defensive success to a degree. Then the last one against Buffalo, they just couldn't get any points on the board, they ended up winning thirteen to ten in overtime. It's a defensive struggle. And honestly, for the 2010 Rams, I think, that, I think that plays into our advantage. If you're not going to be able to score points, all that says to us is too easy. Our defense is going to shut you down as well. And that opens up yeah. things for the offense. It's, I think that game might be the one game where Bradford kind of has to make a play. Not not so much Steven Jackson, not so much what the wide receivers, but I think that opens the door for Sam Bradford to see if he can get it done. And, you know, as much as anybody, I'm on Bradford's back. I think he gets it done in that one as well. So that's wins for both of us. Next week, another home game, but now it's a divisional matchup. Mike Singletary comes to St. Louis December 26th. It's the Rams against the 49ers. What do you think?
2: Um, You know what? I'm going to say win. I like that one. I like the Rams at home on that one. And I go back to my – I predicted the win at San Francisco next week, it, which is probably a little bit more against the odds and in defiance of logic. I think I think at that point in the season, um I, I think the Rams can beat them at home. You know, and I'm looking it's, back, I've got four wins already in the second half and, and <laughs> doesn't I got sound I think right. it's five. I, I hate to be five
0: that now that you got San Fran, but that's good, man. I mean, the the truth is there's no reason not to think the Rams can do it based on what we've seen the first half. But as much as we've watched football, as much as I talk about it, that means you're not going to see that in the second half. The random things always happen in the NFL. The wins that could, yeah. you know, the wins that will never ever happen, Buffalo over Baltimore, are the ones that get that close because it's that crazy. Against San Fran, I'm going to say win. My heart says loss because I really think San Francisco is going to get closer back to the baseline in the second half. But I think this is a game where St. Louis at home, when they can almost sniff, you know, a chance at the division, if they can, you know, in a must-win situation. I think Spagnuolo rallies the troops and they get it done for another win. At that point, they'd be seven and seven and eight with a, with a chance to get into an eight and eight season. Maybe the way things work out in the NFC West, that's good enough. But a lot of it comes down to the last game, the first game of 2011, January second, at Seattle. That's this is a defining game, isn't it?
2: That that's a tough one. I Seattle, I mean, has been consistently one of the hardest places for any team to play, and, and uh, you know, now that's a team too where it's already looking like injuries could be a factor on their season. Um, but I, you know, if if Seattle has Hasselbeck at that point in time, I, and he's playing at, a, at at the level he's been playing this season, which isn't a high level, it's an effective level, not a high level. I think this I have to give that game to the Seahawks as much as I hate to.
0: Yeah, I'm going to do it, too, and I'm going to do it for a random, random prediction. I really think the weather is going to be a, an issue in that game. We've seen it a couple times in random games before, not too often in Seattle, but for whatever reason, I have a feeling that 2011 is going to signal some crappy weather to start the year in Seattle, and that's just not something that this Rams team has faced, and I don't know how prepared they'll be for it. I really think that screws with us, and it plays right into Seattle because you've got a lot of veterans on that team who know how to play in the weather. I'm going to go with a loss, Yeah. So yeah, and that's another factor
2: it. to consider with Denver too. I, you know, Denver, you're in Colorado, you're a mile high, literally. Um, yep. You know, that's the weather in November in Colorado. I can tell you, it can get pretty nasty.
0: So I think that could yeah. be a that's something to keep an eye on. Well, if I add them up right, I got you at nine and seven, and me at seven and nine. Either way, that's not a bad season.
2: No, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I, and to be quite honest with you, you go back to. Who this team is and where they're at at this point in time, and kind of moving along. I, a, a six and a six and ten season wouldn't be a bad wouldn't have season. Been disappointing that bad. because true. it could have been more. You go back to some of those games. I, you know, I think those games in the first half of the season—the Oakland game, the Arizona game, the Tampa Bay game—for sure. That those are going to haunt the Rams this year. Those were those are going to be the ones I think. When you're figuring out the final ledger on the season, those are going to be the ones that are going to, are going to have kept them from winning the division.
0: Could be. In a, in a year be. when the division
2: was completely up for grabs.
0: It definitely is. That may be the point that our caller wants to make. I, I think we got the caller online from the 360. Caller, are you there?
3: Yeah, I'm here. Do you hear me?
0: Yep. Yeah, what's Hello. up,
3: my man? Hello. Hey, this is D.D. Cooper. 360 is Vancouver, Washington, so just in case you wonder. <clears throat> DB, what's what? up, man? What? Oh, not much. I'm watching the Ducks play right now. But uh, Doc, talking about our predictions for the second half, I happen to have a rundown for you. If you guys have a minute? Let's hear it. Okay, what I think we're going to do is I think we're going to beat the 49ers at San Francisco. And, uh, by the way, shame on you, 3K, for saving <laughs> you. Shame, 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 shame. I, I agree, though. I think we're going to lose to the Falcons. Uh, we'll play them tough. We've been playing everybody tough. But uh, I think we're going to beat the Broncos, and uh, I think we're going to have a hard time at Phoenix, at the at the Cardinals. So we'll be two and two through the first uh, four. And I think we're going to lose to the Saints, beat the Chiefs, beat the 49ers, and go into Seattle at eight and seven over 500. And I don't know. You know, the the injuries really going to tell that one. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we're eight and eight, and we lose to the Seahawks in Seattle. That's what I'm thinking.
2: There you no, go. I, I, that's, a, that's, a,
3: that's a very reasonable reasonable prediction I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we're better than our record indicates. A couple of our games could have gone either way that we lost. Uh and uh you know, I think the offensive and defensive lines are just head and shoulders. Uh better than they were last year and getting better all the time this year. I can't think of a better place to improve and so I'm 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 thinking we're gonna hold steady on our current pace and at least do as well as we've done the first half.
2: I like the way you think, my man. I like the way you think.
0: I was just going to throw a random prediction at you, DB, before you get out of here, man. Out of the three games that the three of us all predicted we'd lose, that's against Atlanta on the 21st, uh, in New Orleans on December 12th, and in Seattle on January 2nd, all three of us predicted a loss. Now that I look at that, I can say 100% certainty we'll win one of those games.
3: <laughs> okay, all right. Well, if we do, it'll be the Seahawks. At least I got a uh, that be great. You, you got uh, to hope. To me, it, that it, one it, would it.
2: be the sweetest one just because, you know, you're beating Seattle. Yeah. Even if you don't, you know, you're not going to make the playoffs. It wasn't a year where you're really probably favored or expected to make the playoffs back in August. But, uh, you know, it would be pretty sweet nonetheless. The, yeah. the perfect capper on the season.
3: I have every intention of being at that game, too. Uh, you know, I hope it works out anyway. Uh, that's kind of a busy work schedule, but uh, that's the one I plan on being at. So, you know, I've got a couple of of Seattle, Seahawks uh, friends who, who really need me to be there just to help them out, you know.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it would be a great way anyway, to finish the season. And, and I'll say this, whether we finish 7-9, 8-8, eight eight, or 9-7, if we win that game, I, I can't think of anybody who's not going to pick us to win the division in 2011.
3: No, absolutely yeah. not. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not about records this year, but next year it is.
0: Yep. That's exactly right.
3: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. All right, guys. I'm going to let you go. It's a good show so far. Keep listening. t v hey, thanks, thanks so a lot for
2: calling in, bud.
3: See you betcha. Bye-bye.
2: 3K, it's nice to have some. Uh, it's nice to have. I mean, you know, we're going through the schedule here. It's not, there's got some. It's got some bumps, some hurdles, some roadblocks on the way. But, uh, you know, you think back this time last year, it's nice to have a little optimism out there finally, huh?
0: Well, and the thing is it's realistic optimism, you know. There's no reason to think that we – If we've won the four games that we have and three of the games that we've lost have been this close, that we were in them, Arizona, Oakland, and this, you know, the Tampa Bay game – I mean, if you think hypothetically, we were that close to being seven and one. Who know? You know, who knows what we predict if we're seven and one going into those last eight games? There's a lot of things that have improved, and that's you know, part of it is having the coaching staff and the kind of experience that they get working with similar guys year in year out. Chris Long, James Laurinaitis, and now adding the young talent that we have, Sam Bradford, uh, you know, Roger Sapple, Jason Smith. There are things moving in the right direction, and you can't deny that. The question is how fast they move in the right direction, and what the ceiling is. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, I, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch it all play out.
0: It's going to be great, man. Absolutely. I mean, more than almost, you know, what for the last five years, I'm more excited to see this second half than any other. Yeah, definitely.
2: And you know, you can't, you just can't deny the, the turn. And, and you know, you mentioned Bradford and Saffold. And you know you can't come back enough of when you look at the Rams of the recent past versus the Rams of this year. What a difference those drafts have made! I know but it's something we say again and again, but it just—it's the lifeblood of a successful NFL team. And the Rams finally have is. that going in their favor.
0: You—you you can almost team. separate any good team from any bad team just by looking at how they draft. When you—when you come out and you're going to take guys like Kloppenstein, Ty Hill. Whomever, you know, guys like that, you're just not going to win that many games. You don't put yourself in position to win. But when you get Bradford, Saffold, Jason Smith, Chris Long, James Laurinaitis, Bradley Fletcher, you're using these picks and then you're getting even contributions deeper in the draft – it's that. It's almost that simple. You know, I hate to I hate to simplify things into black and white, but that's one of the few areas in the NFL where I can where I feel really comfortable doing it. If you draft well, you get big performances out of your early guys, and you get depth performances out of your late round guys. You're going to win games in the NFL. No,
2: absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, a guy that's kind of interesting to watch. I, I, you know, and this seems like as good a time as I need to shift into draft talk since we're at the bye week here at three K. Yeah. But before we get into the actual the, pros, the nuts and bolts of the prospects, what do you think about Jerome Murphy's season so far?
0: You know, part of the problem is that Jerome hasn't had a lot of opportunities. When you bring in a guy like Kevin Dockery, who starts off as your nickel corner, you know you've got Bartell and Fletcher. You're limiting that guy to you know fourth quarterback status and. Part yeah. of that may be because he was a rookie. Maybe he wasn't catching on to the system as much, but he just hasn't had as many opportunities out as a lot of other guys. Now, I'm not going to put him on the same par, uh, on the same page as this guy. But if you look at a kid Talib over at Tampa Bay, great cornerback that came out of Kansas a couple of years back, I was really, really high on him as a prospect, and I was disappointed at how he played at first when he got to the NFL. But you're seeing right now his talent starting to click and he's he's turning into one of the best corners in the league. I don't know if that's the pat Jerome Murphy's taken on, but for a first year, while it may be disappointing, the one asterisk got put on it is that he hasn't had a whole lot of opportunities, but he's made some big plays he's made some big plays, yeah,
2: you know and he's been a contributor on special teams too, which I think is a key thing Now it was a different you know Bradley Fletcher was the guy the Rams you know he got some opportunities just because the Rams were you know they were just in a position where they had to turn to Fletcher. they didn't really have much choice in the matter and you know, it worked out great. I mean, I think Fletcher's been a real, you know, solid addition to this team. You know, we've mentioned him already today, but that's, a, you know, um, the difference that makes is amazing, you know what I mean? Um, sure. And I mean that – you go back and you look at Saffold and Bradford and those guys, the, the the level they're contributing at, it's amazing.
0: And the thing is, when you get that much experience, there's no reason to think that they won't get better. When you, If you can come in and play at the level that you play as a rookie, you've got to get better every single season, especially through your fourth four or five seasons. So, you know, when you look at guys like Chris Long, James Laurinaitis, Bradley Fletcher, Jason Smith, Roger Saffold, and Sam Bradford, the future looks good for the Rams, man. I'm not going to lie. The future looks really, really good.
2: Yeah, and, you know, another draft to kind of – and then another draft coming up to – to you know, to take some more talent in that, and then that's a you know, and one thing the Rams they haven't, you know, looking back on it now, I think in April or May, whenever the draft ends up being next year, I you know, when the Rams have that second round, they didn't make the Vincent Jackson trade, they're going to have that second round pick that they you know they they've hung on to, that's that's you know, the, I think that come April May, we'll we'll very much appreciate that as as nice as it would have been to have Vincent Jackson on staff. I think it'll be nice to have that second round pick again, given the kind of talent we've been able to pick up in the second round the last few years.
0: Sure, and especially if you look, if we haven't gotten Vincent Jackson or Randy Moss, you, as much as some people are looking at outside linebacker, interior line, you know, maybe defensive line, I, I don't see how you go through the first two rounds of this next draft and not take a wide receiver. It almost seems like it almost seems like it's mandatory. Oh,
2: you absolutely have, to. and you know, and that here three K. Here's the draft question I have for you right now, and this is the this is this is the draft question I had top of mind when I before I called in to start another episode of Turf Show Radio today. We talked about A.J. Green a little bit already. You got another guy from Alabama, Julio Jones, widely expected at this point in time to be the second best receiver in the draft, the guy that's going to get another first round pick. But where he goes in the first round is still a little bit to be determined, it seems like, among the punditocracy. Um, now, where what well, we're talking about, we're predicting anything from six to nine wins for the Rams this season, Then that could that's going to put them in the middle of the pack in the draft. You know, you're looking at maybe the 13th, 14th, 15th spot in the draft, just kind of depending on how the league shakes out this year. That might be a little late for A.J.
0: Green, don't you think? Uh, I have to think so. I have to think so. And I even think it might be too long for uh, Julio Jones. I just don't see how really? you get – Yeah, I just don't see – with as many teams that could use a premier wide receiver and the way that A.J. Green plays when he's healthy, the way Julio Jones has played this year when he's healthy, and even today against LSU, I just don't see how you get to the middle of the, of, of the first round and those guys are both still there. I just don't see it. Wow. Nice. again – just one caveat. That's assuming they both come out. They're both juniors. They could both go back for another season.
2: Yeah, and you know, and that's another one of those CV, screwy CBA things, man. I mean, it's just, you know, what happens with the CBA? Is it, you know, financially advantageous for them to come out this year? Is it better than for them to wait a year and and, and tune their fine tune their game? Now it sounds like you know they both lean toward coming out, but who knows what'll happen?
0: Sure. And um, I mean, there's. And the stock especially, here's where it becomes key for me. It depends on whether or not they they think that there's a guy that they can get in the second round that can make a difference. Um, you know, it, it may be that they look for a guy, if you're talking about spreading the field, somebody, you know, almost Donnie Avery, uh, Deshaun Jackson like that, maybe smaller but has the speed to compete. And, and there's two guys that I would look at like that. The, the first one's is Jarrell Jernigan out of Troy. I've thrown the name out before. His stock's really starting to shoot really, really high. Um He's electric. He's a tiny guy. You know, he's only about five foot ten, five foot nine, and maybe 185 pounds. But he's got ridiculous, ridiculous straight line speed. I see we got a caller jumping on from nine four nine. So you know, maybe when we get done with this, uh, we'll bring him on if you're cool with that, Van. But the first guy would be Terrell during. And, and the second guy that I'd point out, and, and this might be a little bit outside the mainstream, but it's going to be Tori Smith out of Maryland. I've thrown the name out there before you know he he's an interesting player the thing is his routes are so sloppy it's almost you know keenan burton type sloppiness on his routes um but he's he's a guy that can make plays he's he's got the speed uh, you know, it, it just depends on what kind of a player you want. If, if the Rams are willing to take on Torrey Smith, you can get him maybe in the third or fourth round, depending on how, on how the rest of his season plays out and what he does at the combine. But he's a guy that's got really, really great speed. And then maybe even a third guy would be Randall Cobb from Kentucky. He's got great speed. He's a little bit smaller. But I'll just throw that throw that name out there. What, what do you think about bringing the caller on now that we're in the overtime van? Let's do it. Might as well, right? 949, <laughs> Per four, four, nine, Show Radio. Hi,
1: can you guys hear me?
2: Absolutely. What's on your mind? Who is who are we talking to?
1: Uh, this is Brew and Halo. So nine four nine Southern up, Orange County. We're up from the uh, the original Rams. Ter- well, not the original Rams territory, but the L.A. Rams territory. Um, but I guess I, I, this reminded me when DB Coover got on. I'm actually up, you know, right outside Portland, Oregon. So I guess the Northwest is representing on the on the callers today. <laughs> That's good. That's absolutely. Good. Um, who would have thought that was Rams territory? Anyway, uh, I you know I I wanted to call in earlier on in the show. You guys were covering so many great subjects, whether it be Randy Moss or predicting uh, wins for the rest of the year or even the draft. And I kind of had little tidbits of things that popped up on each of those. Uh, I'll leave Moss out of it just because I feel like you know we we've, we've beat Moss to death <laughs> as a subject. Uh, but in terms of wins, I, you know I'd say Van nine and seven seems pretty, I mean, you you mentioned some of your picks for the homer pick, but I'm having a hard time seeing that happen looking at the schedule game by game like you did, and, I mean, it's easy to say, you know, the Rams have a chance here, so I'm going to mark this up as a win, but I would, you know, you get to a point where you know the Rams have a chance against uh, um, someone like San Francisco, or even Atlanta, by being a home game, although, you know, you both marked that up as a loss, but I... I don't know. I'm, I'm personally starting to see two to three wins coming out to the second half of the year, as an honest fan, as an optimistic one. You know, I'm seeing eight and zero. <laughs> I, I, I can see yeah. the Rams winning any of these games here. Um, but I'm, you know, my my take. If you've looked back at my post on Moss, has been uh, really seeing two wins coming in the this, this second half of the season with so many road games. Um, and then one last and, thing, and I'll leave you guys. That's a fair to take
2: on it. That absolutely a fair take on it. <laughs>
1: Well, one last thing I want to hear you guys discuss. Uh, so you were talking about receivers, and you mentioned uh, some of the, the second round or later receivers, uh, 3K. You also mentioned uh, A.J. Green and Julio Jones, but there was a missing, uh, the discussion about Jonathan Baldwin and the idea of getting that big man receiver who you can throw the ball up to at 6'5". But uh, right now with such a short receiving core, you have the, the small, fast guys. You don't have the, the big, just put the ball up and have him catch it in the red zone. Um so I just thought I'd throw that one out there.
2: You know that's good. That's good call, Bruin Halo, because that's you know that's a name. Um, DV Cooper just got off the phone. He just threw out there too for, you know, some other guys to to con- for the Rams draft radar. 3K. I, you know I'm not really familiar with the guy. What
0: your insight? He's a he's a huge huge wide receiver. He the guy can play. He's about six foot five. If I had to guess, he's going to measure about six foot five and a quarter at the combine. He could bulk up even more than he is right now. He's around 230, you know, 230 pounds. He's really big. The problem that I have for him is that he's not quick enough to run any short routes. He's not the kind of guy that we could use like Torrey Holt when he came out to use a lot of those short slants, five yard ins. Um, he, he makes a lot of plays down the field. He's made tons of you know 40 plus yard catches for Pittsburgh over the last two years. The issue is that if you take away the short game from him, he's not a consistent guy that you can lean on that much, and he doesn't have a lot of jumping ability for a guy as his size that you saw out of somebody like Randy Moss when he came in the NFL. The reason Randy Moss had so many touchdowns when he got to the NFL level was you could just throw the ball up in the corner and you knew he was going to be the first guy to get his hands on it. John Baldwin doesn't have that much explosiveness, and maybe it's ankles, maybe it's calves, maybe it's quad strength, but you know the quickness and the jumping just isn't there. And part of it, I think, has to do with mental consistency. He's not a guy that brings it game by game. Against Miami this year, he had three catches for about 20 yards. Florida International, the next game, he had about two catches for 20 yards. And even this year against Syracuse. I I say again, Syracuse, which isn't exactly a defensive powerhouse, he had one catch. So I don't don't have a ton of faith in John Baldwin, in, in being a guy that can do it game in, game out, you know, a full 60 minutes. But he's definitely a body that... Immediately puts him close to the first round, if not squarely in the first round. But he's not somebody that I have a whole lot of faith in that would come
1: in and change a whole lot for these St. Louis Rams. Right, he wouldn't be that receiver that you could rally the team around and and make him the star Definitely player. Not. I can I can see that point. Yeah. Speaking of, by the way, so I let have me, me interject throw out another name.
2: Way. Let me let me throw out another name real quick. What, Malcolm Floyd, Notre Dame.
0: Floyd's interesting, and I know a lot of people have a lot of hype on him. The problem that I have with Floyd is that, number one, he's a body catcher, and we know that's not something you really want to see. We've Mm -hmm. seen it with Brandon Gibson. I'm not sold on his hands at all. The other thing he doesn't have is straight line speed compared to the, some of the other guys, you know, like uh, AJ Green or Julio Jones. Michael Floyd's going to probably run the slowest 40 out of all of them. He's de- he's got a little bit better quickness than Baldwin, but you know, part of it is because he's shorter than b- all three of them. He's going to measure about 6'2" where AJ Green, Julio Jones are about 6'4" and like I said Baldwin's even taller. Um so he just doesn't have a, that long stride capability. He's got much choppier steps. The, the the issue for Michael Michael Floyd is twofold. Like I said, first off is going to be the hands, and then second off is going to be his corner routes. He doesn't run to the outside as well as he runs to the inside. So, you know, it's something to look at. It depends on whether you can mask that. If if that's the kind of guy you want, somebody that's going to run the lines, and, and you know is going to work the outside despite a whole lot of speed, then yeah, that makes sense. That's a guy you can bring in. I don't see him as a first round prospect right now, but you're going to have to spend something on him to get him. That, that's definitely going to be
1: the case. Good take, good take.
2: Bruin Halo, you still on the line with us? I'm with you. <laughs>
1: um, I'd actually, I wanted to point out one last thing here. I don't know if you guys have that Alabama-LSU game on, but, man, did Julio Jones ever just drop a pass when he needed to catch it? <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, that was I, tough. Julio... He doesn't have the best hands. He doesn't have Hakeem Nix's hands. If you guys remember, when we were talking about that draft, I was all over Hakeem Nix. I absolutely love him. And he has some of the best hands I've ever seen. Julio Jones, if you're rating his hands, you have to give him about an 8.5 or a 9. But the thing is, you know what you're going to get out of him every week because he's so talented. Against Tennessee last week, he caught 12 passes for 200-plus yards. He had a great game against LSU today. I mean, that was a big play where they definitely could have used him. But, I mean, the thing is, it, it, it depends on what you want out of a wide receiver. Julio Jones is not a possession guy. He's not a great hands guy, but he is a game breaker. He'll break games wide open. Um, you know. And, and that's part of what makes the draft great is that no one wide receiver, no one player, no one guy in any position is the same. They're going to give you different things every single game. That's why a guy like Julio Jones can go today against one of the best defenses in college football, LSU, covered by Patrick Peterson, and still finish with nine catches for almost 100 yards and a touchdown. He he can break games open, but he's not going to do it with his hands. He's going to do it with his legs.
2: Yeah, and he's a guy, too, that, you know, and some of the criticism you see with Jones is the inconsistency. But then again, too, it's like, you know, that's some of the same criticism you see with Brandon Marshall and some of those guys, you know, it's not, or Vincent Jackson, even.
0: Sure, sure. And and the thing is, all these guys that we're talking about, we're talking about them being NFL-ready in the first round or even the second round – the thing about the NFL is that general managers get that a lot of us don't get that's hard to see if you don't scout guys real heavily is that you can get number one wide receivers deeper in the draft if you're willing to spend three years on them. If you're willing to spend years on Brandon Marshall, Miles Austin, Mike Sims-Walker, you can develop these guys into number ones. Vincent Jackson didn't come out and do a whole lot as a rookie, but if you spend yeah. the time coaching them and then put them in a position where they can make the most out of the, the few talents that they do have, they can become number one wide receivers for you. And a guy, honestly, that I'll throw out that I can see doing that is Leonard Hakinson out of Miami, another solid game today. He's not incredibly electric. He's not explosive, but he's got good enough hands. He runs routes well enough, and his awareness is really strong to the point that I think if you spend a year or two, he can become one of those underground number ones. I mean, it's way too early for me to say that with a whole lot of conviction, but I'm just going to throw it out there for, you know, discussion's sake.
2: Hey, let me, here's a couple, you know, there's a couple other names that are kind of on, starting to get on the radar now a little bit, um, you know, based on the teams they play for, and as we get kind of closer to the end of the NFL season and draft talk starts to heat up. Um, Ryan Broyles, Oklahoma wide receiver. Um, you know, he's not that 6'3 guy, he's 5'11", He's, you know, he looks a lot more like um, Torrey Holt than than he does Brandon Marshall or Vincent Jackson or a guy like that, um, but you know he's seems to kind of be a second or third round pick for a lot of draft prognosticators. You've seen him play. He's made some nice catches for Oklahoma this year. He seems like, you know, he seems like he's definitely has some talent. He's fast. He's not, you know, mind blowing speed, but he seems like he's a pretty fast guy. He seems like he can get yards after the catch really well. Is that um, how, where, where, do you, where do you see this guy?
0: Yeah, well, the thing, the problem with trying to, you know, pick right now where Broyles is going to go is it depends on philosophy in, in terms of each team's drafting. It, it... Right. Here's my assessment. Ryan Broyles is a really good number two wide receiver, I think, for an NFL team. He's got good quickness. He's incredibly smart at knowing where holes are. And, and that quickness combined with his agility and the intelligence, that kind of field IQ that he has, makes him a great yet guy. That's why he gets great yards out of the catch. He can sense, almost like Brandon Gibson does, he can sense where the hole's going to be. And if he can execute a move, whether it's a spin move or a little shoulder dip or a side juke, he can get into that spe- that space on the field and make things happen. The problem is, in terms of projecting which round he's going to go to, it depends. What team wants to spend a first-round pick on a second wide receiver? It's tough to say. Yeah. What team wants to spend a first-round pick on a second running back? If you know, when a guy like Javed Beth goes at the top of the first, there was a lot of people that didn't think he'd go to the third round, and it, it didn't have to do with his talent. It had to do with what teams want to take a complementary running back that high. So it's difficult to say where a guy like Ryan Broyles is going to go, or you know, how high we're going to have to spend a pick as the Rams to get a backup running back, a complimentary change of pace running back for Steven Jackson because it depends on drafting philosophy with your general manager. A guy like Ryan Broyles, I could see him going bottom of the second. I could see him, you know, fourth pick, eighth pick maybe in the second round for a team that's already got a number one wide receiver. I don't see why you take Ryan Broyles unless you've already got a number one in place, but there's a lot of teams where he would make sense to me. Miami is definitely one of them. I could definitely see Miami spending their second round pick on a guy like Ryan Broyles.
2: Now, here's a guy, another name, then, that this, you know wonder with the Rams, then, uh, if this is a guy that they could target if they miss out on, you know, some of the, like the A.J. Green or the Julio Jones in the first round. Devere Posey from Ohio State.
0: I'm not big on Posey, man. I'll just throw that out there. I really think that he's a a product of a smart system in Ohio State that plays guys over their talent level with the consistency at almost every single position, whether that's running back, wide receiver, quarterback. They're just incredibly well coached. Trussell has a coaching staff that gets the most out of every single player on that offense, and I really don't think that he's a guy whose natural skill translates to the NFL very well at all. That's a good point. That's a good point with Ohio
2: State, like especially Ohio State offensive players like that. That's a, it's a very, I was just going to throw this out. Point. Is
0: Bruin, you still on the line, man? I guess we lost Bruin Halo, but I'll throw this out in case he listens to the end of it. And, and for anybody of our you know UCLA contingency, one guy I'd really like you know a detailed scouting report on from a, T- a Show Timer fan is Raheem Moore. He's a free safety out of UCLA. I know free safety is not really on our radar. But if you can get a guy like Raheem Moore in the third round that and save some money, I know everybody loves OJ Otagwe, but, you know, you've got that one-year option, and it's tempting as a general manager to try to replace the money that we're going to have to spend to keep Otagwe over these next five years. He's a guy that I think might make sense for the Rams in the third round. Uh,
2: that's a good thought. That's a good thought, you know, and it's uh, here we are um, talking about spots. We've got to, you know, worry about replacing guys already for the Rams. It's a uh... –
0: Sure, I mean, but that's part of the difficulty once you become a good team and you've got some established yeah. positions. You've got to start replacing guys that haven't really done anything wrong. It's not that O.J. Atagway is not a great player. It's not that he doesn't you know, deserve a sizable contract. But once you start filling in the holes, you've got all these draft picks. You've got to spend them in the right spots. You look at the Packers, there's no reason for them to go get Aaron Rodgers when Brett Favre is still almost at the peak of his career. But you've got to say, look, at some point, He's going to fall off the map, and it makes more sense to have somebody ready to replace him in three years that's got plenty of experience than than spending that pick once it's already too late.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, you know, all it takes is one dick photo to get you out of the mix.
0: Fair enough, although let's not put that on No Jay If he's got that much hair on his head, I'm just saying, bro. I'm just saying. Hey,
2: that's the four pillars. That's the four pillars right there. If, if you meet the four pillars test, your cell phone text messages are going to be.
3: <laughs> that's the new fifth PG, pillar. No penis
2: thirteen.
0: <laughs>
2: that's funny. 3K, and with that, it seems like we are probably at a good point to wrap up another.
0: By, is, the there a better, is there a better radio? reason to wrap up, you know, show radio than, than we've gotten to the point about talking photos of men's penises? I think I think we've expended <laughs> enough time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think I, I know there are a lot of people out there, a lot of wives who tolerate our football obsessions, and they look at it with maybe a raised eyebrow sometimes. So that's a good, good point, good point to <laughs> cut it off here.
0: I, I think like they just hung up on that one. I think they've already clicked it off.
2: <laughs> 3K. It's been good. I guess no. Nah, not worried about any predictions this week. Any possibilities that the uh, the two active NFC West teams could
0: could pull an upset? I mean, any given Sunday. But you got. I mean, you talk about the Giants. There's no reason they can't win that game. I, I think this could be uh, an interesting weekend for us to get. A, you know a good bye week and get some free momentum from some teams losing, but the biggest thing has got to be healing up. Versus the other teams, it would be great if they lose, but the biggest thing is get everybody healthy, spend the time getting ready. We only had one practice this week. Get your minds right. Get ready to go. We've got a possible playoff push ahead of us for a young team. It's going to be about mentality, man, and this is a big big opportunity for Spagnuolo to posit himself in almost that middle-to-top tier of coaches. If he can turn this team around and get it moving in the right direction, he's going to be a guy that has a lot of people watching him.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this is a team that, you know, as, as great as they've played and as much as they've kind of defied expectations, you go back to the first half of the season. And I think we could all agree that they could have been better. They could have been sure. a better team than they than they are at 4-4. Four and four. So
0: well, carry that forward put it into in the second half. I was just going to say, put it in perspective. All we've really done is pull ourselves out of the basement. Now, that's not easy. Sure, give credit where credit's due. But that's nothing compared to pulling yourself out of the basement – then getting yourself closer to the playoffs and then executing in the postseason—that's what makes great, great coaches. That's what gives you Jeff Fisher's, you know, Belichick's, those kind of guys. They don't—they don't just yeah. avoid being a crappy team, but they can get it done late in the season. They can get into the playoffs and make things happen. We may not get that opportunity this year, but we're going to get it, and that's where Spagnuolo is going to really earn his contract.
2: No, absolutely. And you know, this is a guy. You know, you get you get the Rams to the the Rams win the division. I, I think. Baglio is a legitimate name for coach of the year.
0: I really do. Without question. Without question. Oh yeah.
2: Absolutely. You've already got probably the offensive rookie of the year on the team. That, that's uh that's that's uh, that's those are two that's two big signs of the direction this franchise is headed in. And and I think with that, you know, I look forward to the second half, like you said earlier 3K I mean, how long has it been since you really looked forward to the second half of the Rams football
3: season? It's been a few been years. A it's been a while. So, uh,
2: with that, 3K, go Rams.
0: Go Rams. I'm going to go back and watch the tape of that Illinois-Michigan game. They scored 132 points between the two of them. So, uh, I- I'm going to go see uh, <laughs> see if I can find anything that the defense did right.
2: And I'm going to go see if I can find a college that will pay me to come there and um, talk about football with them. So, while you're doing that, I'm going to work on that, 3K. Enjoy the week Fair off.
0: Fair enough. You too, man. Go Rams. Go Rams!
1: It's so hot outside. Time to go
0: bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials.
1: Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.